thank you all for coming today. Let me just start with some opening remarks and then I'd be happy to take your questions. My trip to Ottawa was very constructive. I had productive meetings with several premiers, including bilateral discussions with Premier Legault and Premier Mo and Premier uh, Pile from the Yukon to primarily discuss issues around health and energy. I also had the opportunity to meet with Pierre Polyev and many of Alberta's Conservative Party of Canada MPs to discuss a variety of federal issues impacting Albertans. Now, obviously, the premiers were somewhat disappointed with the amount of new funding announced for health care. However, Alberta will use its new dollars to accelerate the health reforms that we've already commenced here to decrease ER wait times, to dec decrease ambulance response times, to decrease surgery backlogs, as well as to recruit more frontline workers, uh, especially in primary care. My meeting with the Prime Minister was positive overall. I made it very clear that his government must halt introduction of its proposed just transition legislation, its emissions reduction cap, and its ban on electricity from natural gas, and to immediately come to the table to work collaboratively with Alberta on a joint plan to attract energy investment and workers into Alberta's conventional, non-conventional, and emerging energy sectors, while simultaneously reducing Canada's and Alberta's net emissions. Now, the Prime Minister seemed to express a willingness to explore this collaborative strategy through our respective ministers, and already this morning we met with our key ministers on this file, to, uh, and we'll be following up as well with correspondence with Mr. Trudeau regarding next steps in the near future. I did make it crystal clear to the Prime Minister during our meeting that Alberta's expectations for what must and must not be included in any future leaked legislation, uh, sorry, pardon me, future federal legislation, uh, targets and policies have to include abandonment of any references to just transition or any other terminology or policies that signal the phase out of Alberta's conventional or non-conventional energy sector or workforce. We uh, must also see increased workforce training and participation in all of the conventional, non-conventional and emerging energy sectors. We need to see the need for formal consultation and collaboration with Alberta before the federal government announces or implements legislation targets or any policies that materially impact Alberta's energy sector. Uh, a substantial increase in LNG exports to Asia and other markets through the lens of meeting emissions targets through replacement of higher emitting fuel sources with clean Alberta LNG and getting credit for that as well as joint federal-provincial initiatives to facilitate increased private investment in carbon capture utilization and storage, nuclear, hydrogen, bitumen beyond combustion, geothermal, lithium, helium, zero-emission vehicles, petrochemical, and other emerging technologies and fuels that make Alberta's conventional and non-conventional energy sector increasingly emissions neutral. Now, let me be brutally honest. The Prime Minister has not yet shown himself to be a friend of Alberta. There are a litany of federal policies that he has imposed that have been exceptionally harmful to our economy and to our investment climate, and that have cost Albertans tens of thousands of jobs and tens of billions of investment and projects. But this issue is far bigger than me or this Prime Minister. I know that, and I hope that he knows that too. There are trillions of dollars in revenues, hundreds of billions of dollars in investment, and millions of jobs riding on Alberta and Ottawa working together instead of in conflict, and creating an attractive and certain investment climate that millions around the world want to invest in and move to. The Prime Minister is being criticized across the country and from within his own party as being unnecessarily divisive and unable to improve national unity or, or economic growth. Well, 
here's a golden opportunity. Come to the table and work collaboratively with Alberta on probably the most important economic issue facing this country in a generation. I'm opening the door, but I also have to be pretty clear. If the Prime Minister chooses to slam this door in our face and moves unilaterally forward with just transition or other impossible and arbitrary emissions targets or policies without Alberta's involvement and agreement, Alberta will be relentless in our opposition and we will use every tool at our disposal to protect Albertans, their jobs and their future. The ball is now in the Prime Minister's court and I hope his response to my offer is the right one. And with that, I will now happily take your questions. Who would like to start? Name and outlet, please. Any questions? Um, maybe let's start with the, the health care funding. The Prime Minister mentioned uh, the word weeks in terms of negotiations. What is your timeline? What are you hoping for in terms of coming to uh, agreements on well, I think the Prime Minister made it pretty clear that it looked to me like that was his uh, first and only offer. I'll be meeting with my ministerial First Minister colleagues, um, I think on Monday, to just see what our response uh, will be. I know that there's a great amount of disappointment. They've been advocating on this issue for uh, over two and a half years. And so... Uh, I think that they were anticipating that the new money would be a lot more. That being said, there, I, I think Alberta's share will be about $518 million new dollars, and I've already talked to my health minister about how he wants to deploy those dollars. We've already started on a very ambitious reform strategy, and it will be helpful. Um, so we're, we're going to be making sure we don't leave any money on the table, And I, but I will just express on behalf of all the first ministers, they, they had anticipated that it would be a higher share. How long would that process be? Uh, it, it, I imagine it will take days um, or weeks, not, not much longer than that. The, uh, the, I think the federal government is in process right now of their own federal budget, which I think is going to be out by the end of March. And the, the Prime Minister signaled that the $2 billion top-up um, as it's distributed across the country could co actually come quite quickly. And then the bilateral agreements will just take a little bit longer to, to be able to negotiate. But we were pleased to see that most of the funding increase was in the Canada Health tra Transfer. That's particularly important to Alberta because it's divvied up on a per capita basis and it has no strings attached. So I think that it, that, that at least was the, the right balance that most of the dollars are coming through with no strings attached. I just want to pivot to something else. Sure. Can you talk about the idea behind um, the new pilot program that the energy minister is looking into um, that will essentially incentivize companies to clean up orphaned and abandoned wells? Yeah. Why do you like to go in that direction as opposed to just telling these companies to clean it up or essentially they can't do business here anymore? Well, during the pandemic, the federal government came through with the site rehabilitation program, which is a billion dollars to accelerate abandonment. And we have a huge amount of learning that has taken place now over the, the last couple of years. And we, do, we don't want to see any of that, of that progress lost. We want to make sure that those workers remain employed. So there are a couple of measures coming through. Number one, there is going to be a mandatory amount of abandonment cleanup that has to be done every year. It's going to be a percentage basis. But we also know that there's a problem with the worst wells in Alberta. There are a lot of practices that were approved by governments 
that uh, would not be environmentally valid today. And as a result, a lot of those sites, I'm talking about flare pits, I think we've got over 4,500 flare pit sites, they just end up getting pushed forward and pushed forward decade after decade with nobody wanting to take on the liability of cleaning those up. So we want to develop a program to deal with the worst well sites so that we can get that land back into production. We want to have an, an opportunity for landowners to be able to nominate some of these sites because uh, we think that um, there's sort of a joint obligation, especially for those worst wells, because the, uh, the environmental rules changed over time. And we just think that we need to do whatever we can to get that land back to its natural condition. Do you think there's a way to do it, though, without using taxpayer money to subsidize these large multi-billion dollar companies? We have a, you know, I'll talk with um, my my, fi uh, my energy minister as he brings the, the policy forward. The uh, We have always taken the view to allow companies to keep more of what they earn to be able to, um, to, 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 uh, to eat, whether it's invest in oil sands, whether it's invest in drilling. And it, it seems like that's been a consistent approach that we've taken in the past. Um, if you if you look at the approach that um, that he's proposing, he's doing a, a bunch of town halls with First Nations, with municipalities, and with uh, energy companies, and we'll get that feedback. But I, I think that there's a, a joint responsibility to look at these, particularly these worst sites, ones that have been inactive for 20 years or longer. They were drilled prior to 1980. There hasn't been anything done so far to stimulate the cleanup. We've got to do something different if we want to get these sites cleaned up. And so I'm willing to try a pilot project to see if it will work, because I think that that's the expectation, that the landowners that have those sites on their property, that's the expectation that they have. Lee Fangio with CBC. Thanks for taking our questions today. Um, I'm just wondering if you've spoken to Arthur Pelosi since the start of 2023 and what the nature of that conversation was. You know, I've talked to everyone who um, has concerns about some of the, um, the, uh, the enforcement orders that are against them, and I have told them the same thing that I uh, have told all of you, that I'm awaiting to see the result of a couple of different cases. I'm taking the advice of my Attorney General, and that we'll have to wait for the process to play out. Specifically, have you spoken to him directly? Yes. Okay. And uh, could you... You let me know in the course of that conversation did you tell him or indicate to him that you would uh, have people looking in to see what could be done with his specific charges i have, have always said that i uh, i campaigned on it for seven months that i would look into what the options were for amnesty and that i would look into what the options were on that and my uh, my justice minister came back and said that Amnesty is not possible for a premier. The only role of amnesty is the governor general in our country, the way our system works. And his advice to me was having lost one case, the uh, CM versus Alberta case, that we were going to wait on the Ingram case to see if there's some clarity in law. So that was the advice of my justice minister, and that's what I'm waiting for. Um, Brody Thomas, Post Media. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, Premier, has your government had any discussions with the city of Calgary about the... Um, remediation of the West Village and the creosote contamination that's there uh, since uh, you've become the premier? I would, I would like to see if we can try out some new remediation technologies to see if there is a way to be able to remediate. So I have had some conversations with my Deputy Minister of the Environment as well as a couple of companies that have some remediation technologies they want to try. And because the, uh, the West Village site is is one that has the potential to be anywhere from 50 million to 300 million for cleanup. I, I would like to see if we can try out some new technologies to, to be able to bring that site back into use. So I don't know if that is going to be something we could do in the, in the near term or the immediate term, but I think we'll learn a lot 
by um, by accelerating some of the remediation of some of the sites that will that will be able to help us with the West Village. It's a huge area, a huge land parcel. If we can get that cleaned up, it would have an enormous value to the city of Calgary. So it is it is something that I think that we should be talking with them about if there's some way that we can accelerate that. And as a follow-up, uh, I'm wondering uh, if there's any update you can give us on um, province's role in the uh, in the arena discussions, the event center discussions. I'm afraid I can't. We have a non-disclosure agreement, and so I'm just letting the parties continue to work together, try to get to a, a conclusion. And if we can be helpful in some way, I've I've said that we would like to be helpful, but that's all I can say for now until we hear from the from the uh, the two negotiating parties. Dr. Bradley Western Standard, my first question is, there's been some social media buzz about the handshake that you did with uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Uh, what did you think of the handshake, and did it hurt? <laughs> Look, I had walked into the room, and I'd already shake, shaken his hand. So we'd already said our hellos, and then we were going to our respective chairs waiting for the media to come in. So I was taken a bit by surprise that he wanted to shake hands again. So it was, we kind of missed the landing. It was a little bit awkward, but we ended up having a, a really good discussion after that. The question is, Washington Canada broke a story yesterday about an Alberta NDP candidate for Calgary University, Louis Metz. She participated in a pro-lockdown protest and called Alberta embarrassing. Hmm. What do you think about that? You know what? I, I believe in free speech. We have different people with different points of views. I, I, I know that there were those who were participating in freedom convoys who've been called names. I'm not going to call names who were, uh, on those who were on the other side. It'll be up to Albertans to decide when, when it comes to the election which candidate best represents their views. Thank you question, uh, and this is definitely on a topic that a lot of people are talking about, including, I've been told, on Calgary Reddit as we speak, it's the top topic, and you haven't really spoken a lot about it. I know you have some concerns about it, but I'm going to give you this opportunity today, because we know that there is going to be an announcement next week for sheriffs coming to Calgary, as there was already an announcement about sheriffs going to Edmonton, that announcement's already been made. We have a police chief who was quoted today talking about the social disorder, not just addictions, not just mental health issues, but also public safety issues. Yeah. What is your message to people who live in, who go on transit and are experiencing difficulty with people on the trains, with people on the platforms, with people on the way to the platforms? What do you say to people who can't go to their convenience store or can't go to another convenience store because they have to run a gauntlet yeah. of people around, around the site scaring the hell out of them? Yeah. What do you say to the people in Calgary, in Edmonton, but I'm talking about more Calgary, in Calgary, who, who are discussing at this very moment the people that are wandering around uh, yelling, screaming, erratic behavior, random acts of violence, everything else. And what we generally hear from political figures is long-term strategies for dealing with addictions and mental health. And those are all very good. But what do you say to people who are lined up at the local Safeway and the Beltline for 25 minutes to go to the bathroom while a security guard is pounding on the door to try to get a person shooting up to get out of the toilet? Yeah. And then, I mean... This happens, and then the security guard at the end says, it happens all the time. Yeah. So what do you say when there's this, this fairly, it, it's in many hot spots throughout the city, on transit, in communities, on the streets. What do you say personally, and as Premier, to the people living among all of that disorder and crime? Well, we, we clearly let it get away from us in, in all of our, our cities, our two large cities and our mid-sized cities. And maybe it was because there were 
fewer people coming downtown because of COVID and working at home. And I think people are astonished at how dangerous it's become to drive the LRT, is how dangerous it's become to come out on the street at night after work. I've heard of a couple of business deals in Edmonton that have fallen apart because when the principals wanted to buy the building, they looked around and said, we will not have our female workers come out in this environment at night. And that's not acceptable. We have to have public spaces that are safe for the public. So that is why we are working with our sheriffs to embed them with uh, first Edmonton Police, and you already mentioned that there will be an announcement in Calgary. I can't confirm that, but you'll have to hear more uh, from Mike Ellis on that. And I must tell you, our sheriffs came forward and volunteered for those positions. So they want to help, too. They want to make sure that there is active policing, that there's active presence. Because here's one of the things that I would say is that uh, police officers are often the point of contact to convince somebody to get into treatment. Uh, my uh, chief of staff, Marshall Smith, is a foremost expert in North America on addiction because he, that's his story. He lived it. And it was a police officer who uh, said, look, you got, you're either going away for a long time or you're going into treatment. And he went into treatment, and 35 days later, he's on the path to recovery, and he has made immense progress, I think, in this recovery-oriented system of care. It's why we feel so strongly about it. We've opened our first recovery community in Red Deer. We've got 11 more that are being built. So this isn't long-term solutions. This is immediate. We're increasing our number of treatment beds to 8,000 so people can go into them without cost. It's not just going to be a 28-day program. They'll be able to stay for as long as a year because we believe in people. We believe that it's important for us to give people their individual agency back so that they can get back on with their lives. So I see it from both sides. I've seen some, uh, many, I've met many, many people who have been in recovery and gone on to live very productive lives and pay it forward, and that's what we want to keep on doing. But we also have to have zero tolerance for the social disorder. It's too dangerous. So, so what is your message to citizens? You've talked about people getting into recovery, and I know all about that. But what is your message to them as they still experience this? I'm not expecting any government to snap their fingers and it all goes away. But what is your message to those residents, those citizens, those Albertans yeah. who are experiencing, for whatever reason, the fallout from all of, all of this? What do you want to tell them? If you could tell them, if you were sitting with me and talking to these people, what would you tell them? Well, what you tell them? I mean, what's, what's happening? Well, we, we are going to help as a provincial government. That I, I think that the, it's overwhelmed, the, the forces in Calgary and Edmonton. It's overwhelmed the forces of, of transit, and they need us to be able to be that connection point so that we know that, or so that, that uh, residents know that we're serious, not only about addressing the public disorder, but about getting people off the streets and into care. I mean, I've told my staff what I would love to see is all of the tents um, dismantled and never reestablished again because we have a safe place for somebody to go to get treatment or a safe place for them to be sheltered. It's not a dignified way for somebody who is suffering in the throes of addiction to be living, and it's not a safe environment when you see open-air drug use and needles on the street. We, I think we uh, unfortunately allowed for it to get away from us over the last couple of years, but we're not going to allow that anymore. We're going to, to have this first 15-week uh, pilot project, and I hope it works. And if it works, we're going, to, we're going to do more of that because this isn't a problem anymore in just Calgary and Edmonton. It's a problem in Lethbridge. It's a problem in Medicine Hat. It's a problem in Wetaskiwin. Every community that you go to is beginning to see this kind of open disorder. It's dangerous, and I think it's causing people to lose confidence in, uh, in, in public policing, and we can't have that. So we support our, our, our police services. We support our sheriffs, and we're looking forward to them working together to address this issue. Go ahead. 
Hi, Premier Marcellani, uh, CBC Calgary. Uh, my question, uh, the NDP uh, is accusing your government of what it calls uh, starving the system. We're talking about healthcare uh, spending, removing essentially $1.7 billion they say in healthcare spending each year and not accounting for population growth or inflation. I wanted to know what your response was to that and, and how do you plan to address staffing shortages, surgery, wait times, uh, other healthcare issues with this deal moving forward here as well? Well, we have a record number of doctors in our province as of December 2022, 11,400. Uh, from the time that the NDP were in to now, we have ne uh, 1,800 net, um, net, new net nurses. So we've got an investment in, in both of our most, uh, both of those important frontline frontline care. We're working with our paramedics to make sure that we're reducing the number of um, of trips that are for uh, uh, treatable conditions at home or on site, or uh, making sure that we have a different alternative to get people transported to routine. Uh, routine um, doctor's visits so that we have our ambulances available for the most urgent care. So those are the, the things that we're doing to make sure that we're supporting our doctors, our nurses, and our paramedics. We also have uh, seen, I think our, our health care budget is 42% of our overall spending. We had a plan that was announced last year to increase funding $600 million a year last year, this year, and next year. We're going to be able to invest more now with the federal government assisting us. And it is absolutely a priority because one of the things that my health minister, Jason Copping, says is that as we're moving and building out new types of service delivery, we have to be able to fund what's happening traditionally, but then also still be able to fund home care and continuing care and our mental health support. So it is going to be expensive in the, in the short term, but we absolutely have a commitment to be investing in health care. It's our number one priority. Okay, so let's talk about this health care uh, funding plan moving forward here. You say it could take uh, maybe days or weeks. Or say, it, say it doesn't go well for, uh, for, for Alberta here. Is it a liability if we don't accept this deal? And uh, we you go into an, an election in, in, in May, for example, and, and we don't have some sort of uh, good plan in works here for, uh, for Albert. We are not going to leave any dollars on the table. And, um, well, we would have hoped that Ottawa would have wanted to come forward and be a more generous partner. The way the system initially started out was that we were going to be 50-50 funding partners. They're now down to about 20%. Uh, they'll argue 30% because of tax point transfer, but they have, they've, in, they've signaled with the proposal that they have no intention of, of increasing that share, which is fine. Um, that's the, the position that they have taken, and it doesn't mean that our advocacy stops. But I, but I, I, I think $518 million coming to Alberta is significant, and we're going to be able to do some good things with that, but we're not going to leave any money on the table. All right, we're going to head to the phone lines. Operator, can you please put through the first caller? David Staples, Edmonton Journal. Uh, you met with Pierre Polibert in in Ottawa as well. I'm wondering what you, if you had any indication from the Prime Minister and from Polibert about this idea, first of all, of increased LNG exports, and then this idea of getting Alberta getting credit, um, I guess carbon credits for displacing coal use and other places with LNG. What do you get any sense if the Prime Minister is open to that, and and what's Pierre Polibert's position? Well, I think that the uh, the Conservative Party federally had proposed that all the way back to Andrew Scheer. So I think that they've made their position very clear on that. Um, in the two times that I've talked to the Prime Minister, I've reiterated that I'd like to work with him on finding a way that we can use that green transfer mechanism in the Paris Accord. Uh, we haven't used it yet. Um, myself and uh, the new uh, Premier BC, David 
Eby is also interested in being able to, to get that kind of offset. Japan has indicated an interest in working with us to share the credit that comes from displacing higher polluting fuels. And uh, British Columbia has the opportunity to build several more LNG operations if we can get that um, emissions reduction piece right. So I, uh, I got some indication that, we, that uh, the Prime Minister would be willing to work with us on, on being able to make those kinds of, of, um, of agreements. And I certainly know that in, in British Columbia, as long as we can identify that they can, they can demonstrate to their public that there's emissions reductions, I think that we'll have a partner, in, especially in LNG export. The um, on the uh, the issue that Rick Bell was raising, uh, I think it was Rick's voice. Um, the there's been talk of in in British Columbia of um, people who refuse to leave the streets who are a danger to themselves or others of having involuntary treatment for them and moving in that direction. Where is the Alberta government right now in terms of um, essentially helping people who are who are uh, not not willing or unable to take action themselves? I think we'll have a good indication of how much receptiveness there is to those who are on the street wanting to get into a treatment with the pilot program that we have in Edmonton. We're funding 36 beds as a convalescence facility attached to the uh, uh, patients from the Royal Alexandra Hospital so that those who are homeless have a place to go where they can get meals and recover from their injuries and also be given access to the option for treatment. So that only just started in the last couple of weeks. And so I'm going to be interested in seeing what kind of, they're going to be doing their metrics as well to see what kind of success they have in getting people to go from convalescence into treatment. So I, I, I would hope that, that when we make the offer available, I, I would hope that people would choose that. I, I think that it's hard to get a, a pathway in um, because we've had barriers in the past. There's been uh, fees that have been on these private beds. There has, there has been uh, delays in being able to get into treatment. There's been delays in being able to get into long-term treatment. So we're trying to remove all the barriers. And so that's the first option that I want to do and see if we can, we can make some success there. All right, operator, next caller, please. Don Braid, Calgary Herald. Don, are you there? Okay, should we go to our next caller? Don, call me. <laughs> Bennett, Canadian Press. Oh, hi, Premier. Um, I just want to pick up on something the CBC asked, uh, just to clarify. Did you say that you've been in contact with, uh, with people who are before the courts? on their COVID-related cases uh, after they had been charged? Is that, is that the case? And if so, who have you been contacting or been contacted you know by? Who have you spoken to? I'm a politician. Um, and so on the campaign trail, I was contacted by a lot of people who um, are facing fines. Yep. No, I asked for specific names, but I guess I'm not going to get them. <laughs> Premier, I wonder if you could clarify exactly, uh, since this came up in terms of your discussions with, with justice officials, uh, it's in, in my mind, it's been a bit confusing in terms of what was discussed. I mean, at various times, you've said uh, the talks are done, the talks are ongoing, it's prosecutors, it's not prosecutors. Uh, I was only asking about general sentencing or prosecution principles. I was asking about specific elements to these cases. I was asking about amnesty. Can you clarify exactly what is it that you asked or discussed with 
uh, Tyler Shandro and the uh, deputy minister. Well, let's be clear. Um, the CBC story was untrue, um, and I've been I've asked for an apology, and I still haven't gotten it, and I've asked for a retraction. They gave the impression that me or my staff was calling around to Crown prosecutors, and that was not true. The Alberta Crown Prosecution Service confirmed there was no political interference, and the Independent Public Service also did a review of a million emails between my office and the 900 email boxes that are within Crown Prosecutors and found nothing. So let's be clear that the, the, the CBC started a story that was simply untrue. I have always said that I was going to, to seek amnesty. I have always said my, pro, my contact with the ministry has been appropriate. And the, the ministry saw my public comments and what I campaigned on, and they gave me legal advice that, number one, amnesty is not available to a premier. It's only an, a power that the governor general has. And number two, we lost a case, CM versus Alberta, um, because it was found that the health, uh, the, C, the chief medical officer of health, went through an, a flawed process to implement a health order. There is now another case going through, Ingram, that looks at all of the health, health orders, and we're waiting for that decision to come down. The case was heard in the fall, and we'll be waiting for the court process to play itself out. So that's what the advice was that was given to me by the justice minister. That's what I'm waiting for, and that's the reason why I have, have not pursued it any further. I've accepted the advice of my Justice Minister. Operator, let's go to our last caller, please. Catherine Grigowski, Alberta Today. Thanks for taking my question. I wanted to follow up um, firstly on what Tim was asking about the liability management incentive program. Hmm. I still don't understand why give tax breaks at a time when oil prices are, are so high on something that companies are legally obligated to do. Why not... Um, focus on enforcement and, and forcing companies to do what they're legally obligated to do? Well, you know, I suppose we could keep on doing things the way we've always done them and get the same result. That's what I've looked at. I've, I've been following the case of uh, abandonments and suspended wells and the long-term liability of sites going back to the 50s and 60s and 70s that have not been in, in active service that are still not cleaned up. So that's just not tolerable to me. I, I think that we owe it to the landowners to make sure that those sites get cleaned up. And remember, a lot of the change in regulation came through um, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And so when you've got these historic sites that were cleaned up to the standard at the time, I think government bears a responsibility for assisting in making sure that those are cleaned up as well. So uh, the, the approach that, uh, that is being proposed is um, uh, one that would focus on the, the worst wells in Alberta, ones that have been out of uh, active service for uh, well in excess of 20 years and that are, are also identified as some of the worst wells because they have a very complicated cleanup. Um, if we don't do something, um, they're just going to continue to get pushed forward and we're, we're not going to see them get cleaned up. So that's what I'm looking at is can we create a pilot project that will make sure that the worst wells get taken care of and we'll see if it works. Catherine, do you have a follow-up? Yeah. Um, so on the sustainable jobs legislation, it seems that both the labor and industry are in alignment right now, saying we have no time to waste to match the incentives within the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, okay. or we risk it getting left behind. Um, how fast are you willing to work with the federal government on this? What, what else are you looking for? Well, I've put together a council of my key ministers who are impacted by the proposed federal legislation. Remember, there's three things that the federal government has said they want to do. That they want to bring in aggressive emissions caps. They've proposed 42 percent 
uh, emissions reduction by 2030 on our oil and natural gas industry. They've proposed 30% emissions reduction on fertilizer. They've proposed uh, disallowing natural gas to be on our electricity grid after 2035. And they've also proposed what they started off calling the just transition legislation, and they've changed the, the name of that, and I'm glad for that, and I hope we don't hear that language anymore because we know that environmental groups use that as a proxy to talk about phasing out the workers altogether. So uh, if they're going to make a shift, I'll be, I'll be pleased to see, to see that as well. But the, the key ministers that are, I'm, I'm consulting with, and we had our first meeting this morning, our finance minister, Travis Hayes, energy minister, Pete Guthrie, environment minister, Sonia Savage, our jobs and economy and northern development minister, Brian Jean, as, um, as well as Matt Jones, who is our utilities and affordability minister, and Nate Horner, our agriculture and irrigation minister. So I'm, I'm going to make sure that we're all working in tandem to make sure we've got the same message, the same approach, and that we're able to put forward a policy that Albertans can feel confident in. I think what has, has shifted in what I have seen over the last five years is that there's a huge appetite on the part of industry to address this issue, to make technological changes, to bring in dramatic emissions reductions. And we want to support them in that. But if you put forward policies that will phase out emissions too quickly before technology becomes available, it's going to result in our resources being shut in. And we simply can't have that. That will then end up cutting off our ability to do these kinds of investments. So that's the conversation that we're having around our table, and that's the conversation that I, I started with the Prime Minister. And I, I hope that we'll be able to come to, to a common agreement. I don't think you want to be seen as being evasive. Um, did you speak to Art Celeste, the individual who is charged uh, before the court right now, uh, in this calendar year? And if so, what did you say to him? I, I did say yes, and I said the same thing that I've always said, that um, I, uh, I had sought the opportunity to seek amnesty. I was told by my justice minister amnesty is not available to a premier. It is only an option that is available to the governor general and that uh, we are waiting on a, a case to be resolved, uh, the Ingram case to be resolved. I've accepted the advice of my Justice Minister, and I'm waiting for that case to be resolved. So you told him that there's nothing that you or your office can do when it happens at this point? I, exactly. I said that this is the advice of my Justice Minister, I, and, that's, uh, and that's what I'm waiting for. All right. Thanks, everybody.